Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Unscrewed. The show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and welcome to a whole new season of Unscrewed. Boy, howdy, is there a lot of sexual culture to unscrew, is there not? But the thing that I am here to talk to you about this week is porn. And not just porn as a concept and sort of porn 101 and all that stuff, but you may have noticed that porn the word porn and the idea of porn has been in the news a lot lately and there's some good things about that but also a lot of the discourse has been kind of troubling so I called up my buddy Tina Horn who is of course the host of the amazing podcast why are people into that she is also the author of two nonfiction books love not given lightly and the succinctly named sexting her writing has appeared like fucking everywhere in fact most recently she has a big story out for Rolling Stone about how women are taking over the porn industry relevant to our conversation she is currently, and I think that I'm like breaking some news here. Is that right, Tina? You are. <laughs> She's currently developing a science fiction series for a major comic book publisher. Uh, and she's an all around smart woman. And I'm so glad to have her here to unpack all the porn bullshit. Tina, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me and breaking my tease, teasing my my news. Uh, thanks for teasing me, Jacqueline. I will tease you anytime. I am so excited about the comic and I cannot wait to get it into my eyeballs. I can't wait to put it there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I feel like we, we're going to get we've already gotten into the lightning round because like the first question is what is making you happy this week? Yeah, getting, I mean, I, I was just telling Jacqueline before we started recording, I feel also like Unscrewed Nation will appreciate this story that like, I, <laughs> uh, I had just had really hot sex, and was like feeling great, and then got a text, you know, from the person that I have been working with on this development deal, and they it was very vague but it was like please call me it's important and so I called and I was like naked you know fuck drunk like you know also maybe a little wine tipsy like just like running around naked run did I say naked already like sweaty you were funky, super like, funky naked just, just like running around my apartment screaming um, <laughs> uh, and uh, I just I never you know and, and it's funny because like y y you you get like when you get really great news it's like maybe part of you wants to get it when you're having a bad day so that it like <laughs> lifts you up but instead i just like doubled down on the ecstasy it was really great amazing so, and that was last night so i am like still pretty riding high that is amazing yes yeah. well thank you for sharing it with us thank you <laughs> so what's the best sex advice you ever received you know, I recently got to interview Barbara Corrales, who wrote this book, Urban Tantra, yeah. that had a, a really big effect on me. And I think that she, that Barbara Corrales really taught me the value of taking a really deep breath or many deep breaths during sex, whether it is kinky sex and like especially if you are 
a, a masochist like me and you enjoy receiving erotic pain that that breathing through that pain transforms the sensation but also definitely true for more like pleasurable sensations that for many of us we you know I think probably especially women we think that we need to make our orgasms and our pleasure even if when we're starting off masturbating and we don't want to be heard by our family or our mm. roommates that we we make ourselves quiet and we hold our breaths and we 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 try to become small um and that there's a lot of shame like and self often self-imposed shame wrapped up in that and then we are not even thinking about it so just like the value of you know and and I have a lot of experience with yoga and meditation. So like I can bring a lot to that, but like everybody knows how to take a deep breath, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done. So, uh, and you know, like breathing deeply is free. Uh, and you know, a, a lot of us can do it. I mean, I'm asthmatic. So, uh, if I can do it, <laughs> you can do it. Awesome. What's been making you the maddest or saddest lately around the sexual culture? I mean, Honestly, it's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So if you want, we can. We'll just table it. <laughs> we'll just table it. So what is the biggest sex myth that you used to believe but don't believe anymore? I definitely want to call back to something that I know that I have said on Unscrewed before that I used to think that if. I didn't have a certain kind of sex that that it was like a consolation prize or just not that I wasn't scoring essentially. Mm, so mm-hmm. I can think of like one relationship from my early 20s in particular where you know I was very sexually mi- mismatched with my partner at the time and we are really good friends now and that feels really good to have figured out over the years what kind of relationship we should have but um uh I think I was really I think I was also really unfair to him in my expectation that because I really identified so strongly as like a sex positive and sexually liberated person that it was like it it felt like he was compromising my identity by not wanting to have sex or not wanting to have hours long, super involved, adventurous sex all the time. Um, and, you know, especially in long-term relationships, like, you know, masturbating next to each other, we should think of as sex. We should think yeah. like, I masturbated next to my, next to my partner last night. We had, we had sex last night or I had sex last night, like, and that, uh, you know, or that oral sex or that a quickie, whatever that means, uh, or, or, or a spanking or even like a really intimate, affectionate cuddling that is really present and conscious, like all of those things like our sex (laughs) and that, you know, I think that I used to believe that if I didn't have like a certain kind of like vigorous orgasm driven intercourse, frankly, that I like wasn't really having sex and that, that used to cause me a lot of grief. And then I think I caused other people grief and I'm really glad I don't, think that anymore and I've just I there's like so many more opportunities for satisfaction now that I've changed my framework about that yes excellent okay last question in the lightning round who is one of the bravest people you can think of who's working to unscrew the sexual culture you know I'm going to shout out my friend Jack the Stripper yes so so her name is Jacqueline Francis so shout out to all my Jacqueline F's Jacqueline Uh, F's woo and and she goes by Jack the Stripper like J-A-C-Q the Stripper and she does so much she is a very funny comedian she is an speaking of comic books she's an incredibly talented comics writer but so basically like her her whole deal is she is a stripper she's been a stripper for a long time oh and she's a she makes books literally what doesn't jack do she also is like a really nice and fun person which i sometimes i can't it's like not even fair um but she uh she 
put together an amazing book called Striptastic, where she surveyed, I think, 300 strippers from around the world on all kinds of different topics. And then she illustrated this entire book, which she crowdfunded and self-published. And uh, I really think everyone should read it. I especially think sex workers and lovers of sex workers should read it. But definitely if you have ever patronized a strip club or if you enjoy patronizing strip clubs or if you're a porn fan or anything like that, I think that you should read it. And even if you're none of those things, I think you should read it because it is such a powerful tool of destigmatizing stereotypes and dehumanizing attitudes that we hold about sex workers in general, women in general and strippers in particular. And her, merch that she makes says things like strippers are people and she also makes these amazing like hats and sweatshirts that say tip her and a yes. lot and a lot of um a lot of her social media presence is just really uh she's just so direct and sincere while also being hilarious and creative um about uh how fucked up Horphobia is and um uh, she's just like so amazing so check her out shout out to jack hurrah and we'll link to some of her stuff in the show notes uh at jacquelinefreeman.com so you finished the lightning round i would not say that we were very speedy but <laughs> i am not speedy i am not that um but, but we did it uh and now it's time for the main event because so i want to start by talking about stormy daniels please and i don't want to talk about the actual what i see as the actual scandal which is both the hypocrisy right mm. this guy who like came to power on you know with the support of the evangelical right which is always policing people's sex lives and so like i don't feel like the fact that he cheats on people is like actually that interesting i do think it's a scandal in the sense of like he's enabled by and continues to enable a lot of policing of other people's sex lives um and honestly i mean and this is like a weird tension but i'm not like meh about cheating i think cheating is a consent violation and i take it quite seriously Mm, um interesting I think it's a. I think cheating is a moral issue. I don't think polyamory or non-monogamy is a moral issue, but cheating is a moral issue. Yeah, agreed. But I don't want to talk about any of that, and I don't want to talk about the hundred and thirty thousand dollars, which may have been an illegal campaign donation, and all of that stuff. I think all those are real issues, and I wish that's all that was getting talked about. But what I keep hearing in this discourse about Stormy Daniels is porn star, porn star, porn star, porn star, porn star, right. and. In fact, it is not relevant that she is or is not a porn star. It's supposed to make it extra scandalous, right? That's right. Right? right. And and it's been, like, nagging at the back of my head, and I've had a lot of other shit on my mind, so I haven't really, like, properly, like, spoken or thought about it. But, like, it's driving me up a tree that this is, like, the scandal here is porn star and not all of the other things I just talked about. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I don't, I don't know if I've actually thought about this until, until now hearing you talk about it, but it's, it's interesting because for 45, let's just call him 45. The fact that she is a porn star was a huge part of the appeal for 45 oh sure yes you know and that doesn't negate anything that you said but it's interesting to consider the fact that his impulse to and this is you know obviously my analysis of his alleged behavior speaking of sex being scoring that he clearly is the kind of person who saw going taking a porn star to bed as a status symbol as an for, accomplishment as yeah. an yeah as as something or an that, acquisition yeah that's right and so and you know which does seem to be one of his primary sexual motivators slash motivators in life so um 
So it's interesting that like his impulse in that regard is kind of the same as the impulse of the way that it's being covered, which is that the fact that Stormy Daniels has made porn brings this scandal, it brings a salaciousness, it brings an extra level of dirty. Yeah, I was literally just thinking the word dirty. Yeah. So I just want to talk about like the implications of the way this discourse rolls out. And I know that you wanted to talk about the tweets from Chelsea Handler and somebody else I forget. And and sort Judd of the, Apatow. Judd Apatow, whatever. Um like whatever. <laughs> I'm whatever. a little whatever about him already, but the way the idea of a porn star being someone who is sort of dirty and base and sort of brings a new mm. a new low to the whole proceedings, right? Somebody who's like set apart and othered, you know, how that idea is being used politically in this conversation. So I I have the tweet in front of me. As painful as it is, I will read it for folks who have not seen it yet. Chelsea Handler tweeted, there is an entire generation of children whose, first of all, misspelled whose, um, <laughs> I am not going to be the um, classist grammar police, but Except uh, there, is a, <laughs> there is an entire generation of children whose first memory of their president is a man who supports child molesters, wife beaters, Russian hacking, and porn stars and then she goes on to say we have a moral obligation and responsibility to blah 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 um yeah so So which of these things is not like the fucking other yeah man and i mean i mean people really came for her which is you know on twitter which is good maybe it changed her perspective or gave her pause did she respond i don't think so a lot of people we're like, listen, like what porn stars do, first of all, is legal. Second of all, porn stars provide entertainment. The end. So it's it's like especially hypocritical and disappointing for me coming from an entertainer because you would think that they would get it. It's one thing for a politician to like clutch their pearls, but for an entertainer who, if you take this like, warped moral imperialism out of the equation it like is is what chelsea handler does really that different from what pornographers do i don't think so in just in the terms of like creating media the purpose of which is entertainment the thing that drives me crazy is this so many people watch porn so many people watch porn. So I don't know the numbers out of my head, but like so many people watch porn. Men, women, people of all genders watch porn. Absolutely. Absolutely. And lots of different kinds of porn, by the way. Sure. Lots of different kinds of porn. Right. And we can talk about different kinds of porn, and I think we should, and I think we'll probably get into that, Charlie. Yeah. So like it's super normal to watch porn. And yet we treat the people who make porn and specifically the people who are in front of the camera on porn. Yes. And I think specifically the women, right? Like, absolutely. I think this is super gendered as degraded by their participation in producing something that people really like. Like, (laughs) and I think that it's really tied to our general cultural idea about sex as something that enhances a man's masculinity or affirms a man's masculinity but degrades women right that sex itself is treated that way that like oh if a woman's had too many partners like she's degraded by that and if a man's had a lot of partners, you know like i think that it's actually deeply gendered and is deeply it's deeply part of the idea we have that women are degraded by sex in general Two things. Number one, you know, your point about the fact that most people have enjoyed or do frequently enjoy porn, I think is definitely undermined by the fact that most people's enjoyment probably comes coupled with shame and guilt for enjoying it. And so so I think that a lot of where this hate and dehumanization comes from is is a is a projection of 
the shame and guilt that people feel about their curiosity and desire to watch humans having sex. And if they can displace that shame onto the people that made it, who, you know, clearly the people who are making it have like, if it, if it, if it, if it like, if porn taints you, then obviously the people who are making it are more tainted than the people who are watching it is like, goes the like shame logic. Yeah, that makes sense. The other part of it is that, you know, I, and I tweeted this the other day. Um, I think that there is this widespread idea that watching porn any porn you know and people don't people aren't specific they're indiscriminate they just say porn and we're supposed to know what that means it's supposed to encompass like all videos ever made since the invention of the like camera i guess like that 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 it, I, th- I mean, I think that morally people are feel very comfortable talking about it like it's a snuff film. Yes, that that it's that it's that it's fi- that all porn is documented abuse, and that when you are watching porn, you if you are turned on or excited by it, if you get any pleasure from it, if you if you enjoy it, if you feel compelled to watch it, if you think about it afterwards, that you are complicit in abuse and you, you know often the drive to continue to watch it is so strong that then you have this again this like shame and desire get like coupled together right so um so and i just i really just want to make it very clear that this concept of all porn being documented abuse is is false i'm not saying that abuse never happens within the adult film industry or even that it's easy easy to distinguish between a scene that like violate someone cons- someone's consent and a scene that doesn't but but the the idea that that you could i mean you're like throwing the the porn stars out with the bathwater well you know? i think that also is tied toward our cultural imagination about women and sex which is like that mm. women ourselves we do not like sex right and so for a woman to be participating in porn something terrible must have happened right like that she's That's a really good point that that there are a lot of people who cannot conceive that a woman might freely choose to participate in the production of porn let alone enjoy it i think that i think that's a really good point because we're not supposed to like like to have real sexual appetites in the first place let alone something as considered sort of outre or sort of like as confrontationally sexual as putting it on film i mean i think that this is a great segue into the new york times magazine cover story that we're going to talk about because a lot of what made me really angry about this piece is that there is this persistent characterization of female porn stars as not experiencing pleasure and you know it's not just limited to this one particular piece i think that um you see all the time people assuming that there's no way that she could be enjoying that that it's all faked or you know at 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 best faked and worse coerced and that there's i have such complicated feelings about that on one hand i know for a fact that there is porn out there in which women are enjoying themselves and having orgasms and experiencing pleasure and doing things that they like i just know that for a fact sure but then on the other hand there's this sort of false dichotomy within sex worker rights discourse that like you're either a trafficking victim or a happy hooker right and like the idea that in order for porn to be feminist or ethical or in order for sex work to be feminist and ethical, you know, in order for going back to Jack the Stripper, that like, that like every stripper has to feel empowered. I mean, this is very relevant to your work and the idea of faux empowerment, right? That in order for strippers and porn stars and dominatrixes and escorts to be deserving of human rights and, and respect for the work that they do, that they have to be empowered with every click of their high heels and that they have to be having really 
real authentic orgasms and the, you know the pressure that we put on sex workers to represent that or perform that or meet that expectation is also uh fucked up <laughs> yeah no that sounds like crippling pressure like i can't even my partner and i barely celebrate valentine's day because like i can't take holidays where i'm supposed to feel a certain way oh yeah um i just feel oh, like yeah. no i well, i like almost always like if we tried to do something on purpose super romantic on valentine's day we would get in a fight because i'd be like I don't oh, yeah. I don't feel the right way and I'm trying to fake it and blah 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 like it just like I can only imagine what that kind of pressure is to be like I am authentically in my own pleasure at all time but also I gotta make rent and we have this space well, for a certain amount of time say, and, like, I mean I mean, I will tell you, you know, the gig, it's so it's Valentine's Day. Um, and, uh, you know, I like went to the dentist and now I'm recording Unscrewed. So that feels like, you know, pretty well-rounded. But I have a, a, a gig tonight um, that's not strictly a sex work gig, but like I will totally like show up and perform like pleasure and love because I'm getting paid. Yep. I feel the exact same way about Valentine's Day and many other holidays, actually. I mean, I don't know. Maybe part of the reason that I have such a low tolerance for that is that I have so much experience in sex work where, like, I was, like, very well compensated for doing emotional labor. And, <laughs> and so like, now you're like, I'm supposed to do this emotional labor and you're not paying me? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, no, I'm just not having it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So let's talk about the nitty gritty, though, about this piece in case people haven't read it, because I don't want to, like, get too far into the weeds without grounding of the conversation. Course. So the New York Times ran this piece. I forget who the writer's name was. Maggie Jones. Okay, Maggie Jones. So this. She's, an, she's an MFA professor. Mazel tov. Which is another one of my, like, fucking bugaboos, which is, like, everyone thinks that they can write and think about sex because they don't consider it a legitimate area of expertise. But Dude, uh, you know that's my uh, an axe I'm grinding to, sister. <laughs> so she discovered that there was this porn literacy class happening actually here in Boston somewhere. And she went and spent time with some teenagers who were taking this porn literacy class. And it's sort of a meditation on what are teenagers learning about sex from where and, and mostly it's from porn and what does that mean and what's happening in this class. And, you know, it's interesting. You texted me about it. and You were like, I feel like it could have been like a chapter in Unscrewed, my book, like except my chapter would have been better um, yeah no i by the way i i did say that i um i mean the, the sort of format of like the the writer you know sitting in on the class yes. and being like this person is doing this sort of like cutting edge form of sex education so i'm gonna like tell you what it's like to like be in this room but but i also feel like she asked some good questions that i am also interested in and probably did address it in unscrewed right like what are teenagers learning about sex and from where? Like, what does it mean that we mostly let teenagers learn about sex from porn? How can we do better? Right. You know, like, well, yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the most, the most frustrating things about this article is that it was disappointing because I'm sure that you and I have talked before about how, you know, porn gets scapegoated for, many things many things that people perceive to be sexual ills in our society but you know again adult filmmakers are making entertainment for adults why is it their fault or their responsibility that kids are watching it and they don't have any pleasure-based education 
they've never even like seen genitalia other than their right. own. They might not even have looked at their own genitalia, by the way. They like don't understand how people relate to each other. They like don't understand like what orgasms, et cetera. Well, and the crazy thing in this piece is like the porn literacy educators aren't either aren't allowed or like they don't want to rock the boat by actually teaching sex ed. And I thought that was like actually the most interesting moment. Like, we can, so weird. We can accept porn literacy education, but we can't talk about sex ed. Like, and the the thing that drives me crazy is like, like I don't think all porn is morally neutral, right? Like, I think it's like any other medium, right? Like, some right. of it's like misogynist and racist, and you know, like, of course, there's there's some really damaging messages you can get from some porn, and a lot of it's the free stuff on the tube sites for reasons that I wrote about in my book, and we could talk about for a whole other conversation, right? Like. Totally. The medium itself, it's like saying, like, well, we need to educate kids about how to read novels. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. but I think well, that you porn know, literacy I mean, education would be a good part of comprehensive sex education, right? Like, in the context of sex education, talking about some of these questions and not in the way that they answer these questions, but, like, how does porn get made? Those angles aren't necessarily the most comfortable angles for humans to have sex in. They're good for the camera or like, you know, like these are oftentimes fantasies and, you know, like yeah, understanding yeah. what you're consuming. I'm all for that. And I'm all for like even talking about what do porn performers get paid? Do we think that's fair compensation? But the way it's presented in this piece, and I don't know how much that was the actual porn educators or how much it was the writer, it sounds like both really is like the fact that porn performers aren't well compensated means they're gross. There are a few things that are in competition for the worst and most disturbing parts of this piece. But I think the clear winner is this section where these so-called porn literacy educators ask the teenagers in their class to pretend that they're contestants on a reality TV show and it, then they describe a scenario in which you would kneel on the ground while someone poured a goopy substance over your face. And in another, you would lick a spoon that had touched fecal matter. And these are supposed to be scenarios that that make kids think, uh, you know, would you do this thing? Okay, well, in porn, you know, one of the things that porn stars might do is have a bunch of people ejaculate on their faces you know that's like the goopy substance is supposed to become um and you know the other is the idea that sometimes in porn someone will like suck a dick that has just been fucking an ass and you know the idea is like you know that is like tantamount to like licking a like fecal matter covered spoon i mean it is in a way like I actually think that's really unsanitary and unsafe. You know, as as an actual sex educator that yes. on a on a monthly basis teaches, uh, you know, develops curriculum and teaches sex positive workshops about things like anal sex and role play and dirty talk and spanking to adults. I absolutely advise people not to put something in their partner's ass and then put it in anywhere else really without cleaning it really any other orifice like i i, I <laughs> yeah. like it's not something that is um appealing to me in porn but my tastes are like totally irrelevant like the performers are making a risk aware assessment of what they want to portray well and i think even more than that like it's a missed opportunity. Like, I feel like that example is used to paint all anal sex as icky. Uh, well, absolutely. And instead, they could be having a nuanced conversation about, like, porn performers may, may, might be taking heightened risks to make the porn extra exciting. And they're doing it under these conditions if they're, you know, if it's a good set. And, you know, like, what do we think about translating that to our own lives, right? Like, I feel like the thing that drives me up a wall about the way porn is talked about is all the missed opportunities for real legitimate conversations about porn and sex i mean also obviously the dehumanization and the risk to sex workers which i want to talk more about but like i feel like 
this piece just kept getting super close to like real conversations that are good to have and then going with porn is icky sex is icky Uh, yeah i I agree with that exactly and the educate the educator that is being profiled you know is quoted here as saying when you understand it's not just two people on the screen but an industry it's not as sexy and i just you know i find that opinion to be intellectually dishonest yeah it's weird and it feels connected to this idea that gets perpetuated sometimes that like porn is better when it is made by amateurs who are in real relationships and that you're like watching and that you're you know if you're watching you know two people who are a real couple making love that that is uh, that that's better than porn where it's an industry and there are some regulations there is some culture there is you know also professionals who are prepared to you know make risk or assessments and who understand that there are stigma risks of being seen in porn and just like all of these different things you know like it's so weird because it's like i feel that if more people understood what it's really like to work in the adult film industry that they would make these generalizations less often and that they would fall back on their sort of boogeyman scapegoat confirmation bias less and yet this attitude is like we don't even want to know what the pragmatics of the industry are like because that makes it less sexy like well and and there really is real stuff to talk about about the porn industry the porn industry is not a utopia either but no, we, we never get to have those real conversations if we go like oh this whole thing over here is ick. exactly i want you to talk a little bit more about why amateur porn real couple porn is not better i i agree with you but i want i, I want to make sure that that comes through <sighs> yeah okay fine fuck it you you had me on your show to sit on my hobby horse so i'm hobbying the horse ride the hobby horse honey (laughs) you ride that horse one of the people who gets an extensive section of this article is a woman named cindy gallup yes who is like a venture capitalist tech person who has made a, a website called make love not porn just the title of which makes me crazy it makes me crazy and you know the funny thing about cindy gallup i have mixed feelings about cindy gallup i sort of feel like her entire mission is like antithetical to mine and yet i do think that she is a what's up cindy if you're listening um i do think that she is an intelligent and powerful businesswoman who oh yeah she knows what she's doing when it comes to business for sure she's doing and honestly i think that i could probably learn a lot from her quite a lot of us who are out here trying to get a lot of our ideas about porn and love and sex across i feel like we could all benefit from one another and maybe i'll try to make that happen but anyway cindy somehow always gets so much space and she tells the same story it's respectability i think it is respectability um she i think she's positioned herself yep and then people feel like they've spoken to someone who's involved in the adult industry even though she she's not a pornographer well and she deliberately sets herself apart from the industry she her literally make love not porn her she sets her project up in opposition to the porn industry that's right and basically what make love not porn is is a site where anyone can upload their sex tapes basically it's marketed as you know very successfully i will add marketed as a place where you can watch real couples having real sex and the the premise of her entire website and her entire business is in my mind fundamentally whorephobic but also just the idea i mean this goes back to your original question just the idea that amateur videos made by people who 
don't necessarily understand filmmaking, don't necessarily understand lighting, editing, framing, continuity. You laugh, but these things matter. And to say nothing of understanding how to have sex in a performative way on camera, which is just a huge skill set. And, you know, some people do it in a way that has nothing to do with their own sexuality and just think of it purely as a performance. Some people are very much able to be present and, you know, making a human connection and experiencing pleasure and having sex while also making that internal experience external for the camera. The idea that like these amateurs, are, you know, are making porn that is like more like morally responsible for you to be watching than these people who are professionals is bananas to me. And it's just wrong. It's just wrong. Like, well, and, not- and the assumption that you can't be coerced or abused into making amateur porn, like the idea that it's somehow more ethical that somehow because these people know each other that they must be treating each other ethically flies in the face of everything we know about how relationships work. Hello. And by the way, maybe a lot of those people are like, oh, let's do this thing that would be like spicy and sexy. And, you know, they don't necessarily like, you know, need to do it to make the money, you know, and then they're like contributing to the devaluing of the expectation that people would have that some of us are like trying to make our living off of doing this kind of performance. Right. Yeah. Um, You know, but also if they, if they're not really sort of thinking about it as like a professional move or even like a, like a fine art move, you know, not even thinking like, I am like doing this thing as like, you know, part of my like performance art life that they're like not really thinking about like the stigma or consequences of like how they could be affected by people seeing that video. Yeah. I don't know how she's guaranteeing that there's not like revenge porn up there or like somebody who's like, let's make this tape. It'll just be us. And then it winds up. You know what I mean? Like there's there's so many ethical issues with it. Thank you. But because because she calls it making love, you know, not porn. And, and because she's like a well off older white lady, you know, who who's good at business, which absolutely I agree. She is good at business and I would like to learn things from her. The idea that this is inherently more ethical, it just drives me around the bend. You know, I, I, oh no, I'm sorry. I I was going to rant more, but I'm not going to. I want you before we wrap it up, you were on Twitter talking about how it feels when, when, you know, like this article or Cindy Gallup talk about real people in opposition to porn performers. Yeah. And I think it kind of gets to the heart of the damage that this kind of dehumanization and othering does when we talk about the porn industry as sort of a monolithic bad and and a monolithic other monolithically degrading and all of those things um and i wonder if you could i'm sure there are people listening who just literally have never thought about this before yeah what is the impact the impact on sex workers on people in the porn industry of the sort of bankruptcy and damage of our current discourse around porn Yeah, you know, another quote from this piece that I posted on Instagram was one of the educators saying, most people are having sex with real people, not porn stars. And I, you know, it's connected to what I was saying before about how amazing I think Jack the Stripper's work is of just like making these like cute, well-designed shirts that say strippers are people, it seems glib, but the reason that we need to put it on shirts and keep repeating it is that the psychological toll of seeing in, you know, uh, respectable journalism, people getting away with saying that these people aren't real people is, you know... First of all, another piece that I wrote for Rolling Stone recently was about a porn star named August Ames who took her own life a couple of months ago. And, you know, it was, uh, of course, very sad and a tragedy. And her death has sparked a lot of conversation about mental health within the, the adult film industry and, you know, the fact that basically all pornographers are independent contractors who don't have health insurance and may not even fully grasp what the effects of stigma are going to be like in their life because you know banks discriminate against pornographers families 
disown and exile their, you know, their family members when they find out that they have been in porn. I could tell you a million stories about that. Mm. Recent stories, not stories from the 70s. Um, things that are happening as we speak. And um, dehumanization makes people susceptible to violence. And that trickles down to the most vulnerable among us. For example, trans women of color who may be doing sex work in riskier environments because that is what's available to them. If people don't think of them as real people, then they feel they can treat them however they want with impunity. Yeah, I mean, I actually saw a piece yesterday making the rounds. I think time ran it, which was kind of great about uh, sex workers and Me Too and, and sex workers who've tried to speak out and say, Me Too, I've also experienced sexual abuse on the job. And people saying to them, well, you, how can you be raped if you're a whore? Yeah, well, I mean, I could go on and on and on. I've done a lot of really disturbing and demoralizing research about legal precedent being set by cases and lawyers and judges yeah saying that a sex worker can't be raped by virtue of what she's doing or treating that that someone could be only tried for theft of property uh it's stomach churning and it's true and you know it's it's both the real physical violence and also psychological and emotional violence that we have to deal with from the world from strangers and families and potential other other employers and uh, in, intimate partners and everything but it's also the internalized fear and hatred that we carry around with us the reason that i get so emotional and so worked up and so upset about these things that someone might be like well did they really mean that is is that i see the harm that it causes to the people that i love and to my colleagues and the people in my communities many of whom are queer, many of whom are POC, many of whom are lower class, working class. And, you know, we're str we're struggling to make ends meet and express ourselves the same as any other human on this planet. Yeah. And so we're not going to stand for it. Yes. Oh, thank you. I know that was probably a lot. Well, you know, I mean, I have an enormous amount of privilege as a sex worker and have had personally mostly very positive experiences as a sex worker so I feel like I have a lot of bandwidth and a lot of spoons as they say uh in the mental health care community I have a lot of of spoons to talk about these things so I, I feel like it's my responsibility to do so like as as worked up and upset and and as personally as i take all of this i really have the privilege of a lot of resilience so but i also do what i can to take care of myself so i appreciate you sharing it with uh me and with unscrewed nation i appreciate you jacqueline <laughs> yeah and by the way please let's get you writing these cover stories and getting oh, God. getting you know getting these getting these paychecks and and giving people a voice because you just wrote an incredible book, Unscrewed. Uh, <laughs> Bless uh, you. Available, available now. Uh, <laughs> uh, wherever fine books are sold, uh, you know that that really demonstrates that you're able to investigate these kinds of, of programs and and these kinds of social issues, but talk about them in a way that doesn't just like lean on this like shaming confirmation bias. So we, you know, I want you to work more and I want more people like you out there telling these stories. I would also like that. On Screen Nation, we want to hear from you. I know that this probably is confusing. It's probably some new ideas if you haven't really spent a lot of time thinking about the discourse we have culturally around porn. What other questions do you have? What feels challenging to you? I'm totally here to chat about it. Uh, hit me up on Twitter. Use the hashtag unscrewed at me, J-A-C-L-Y-N-F as in Friedman. You can also email me privately. You can send it to unscrewed at JacquelineFriedman.com. Friedman is F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. Tina, do you want to be in on this conversation? Oh, uh, yes, I would love that. Um, I am both on Twitter and Instagram as at Tina Horn Sass, which is T-I-N-A-H-O-R-N-S-A-S-S. -S -S. Or it's Tina Horn's ass. 
listen, it's whatever you want it to be. (laughs) And uh, where else can people follow your work in general? Well, I would love it if people would subscribe to my podcast. Yes, it's so good. Thank you. Uh, It's called Why Are People Into That? It uh, is every episode I have a different guest and we discuss a subject of sex, kink, gender, and love. Yeah, so I would love it if people would subscribe. I would love it if people would hit me up on that social media. My website is tinahorn.net, which is T-I-N-A-H-O-R-N.net. And I do have a Patreon. I very much appreciate support of my work, and that is patreon.com slash T-I-N-A-H-O-R-N. Swell. And you can find me on Twitter, as I mentioned, Jacqueline F. Uh, Instagram is Jacqueline Fable. It is not Jacqueline Fable. It, I just want you to read it the one way. <laughs> <laughs> I am less flexible on that than Tina is. And obviously you can find all my stuff, including all my books, as well as articles, upcoming appearances. I've got a bunch of dates coming up this spring. Info on how to book me, bring me to your community. Uh, all of that is at JacquelineFriedman.com. So hit me up. And also make sure you're subscribed to the show if you're just listening for the first time or if you just pop in now and again. We do a lot of good episodes and I have a feeling, good feeling about this upcoming season and we have a lot to talk about. Uh, so go into Apple Podcast or Stitcher or Acast, wherever you like to get your podcasts. Make sure you subscribe and while you're in there, give me five stars. Give me a little review. It really helps people to find the show. And I really appreciate it. It makes me happy. Unscrewed is produced and edited by yours truly, Jacqueline Friedman. Our in and out music is by The Pink Tiles. And our cover art is by Nicole Dodonna and was developed in collaboration with The Establishment, who also developed the sound cues. Until next week, I am wishing you safe and happy sex lives. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.